If you love me, keep my commandments. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. A blessed uh, sixth Sunday of Easter to you all and to our mothers. Happy Mother's Day. Faith in Jesus includes necessarily faithfulness to Jesus. And love for Jesus necessarily includes obeying his commands. For as Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Obedience, then, to put it bluntly, is for the Christian uh, not optional. However, it's crucial to understand that our obedience to the Lord is the fruit of our love for God and our union with Him. And so our obedience is not just, you know, an abstract list of rules we follow, you know, delineated somewhere in the sky, but it's the fruit of loving union with our Savior. Because when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, It's in the context of his teaching on the giving of the Holy Spirit. So love for God and obedience to him are rooted in the regenerative and transforming work of the Holy Spirit. In today's collect, we just prayed, pour into our hearts such love towards thee that we, loving thee in all things, and above all things may obtain thy promises. Our works, a part of which are obedience to God's commands, but our works in and for the Lord are works of love. Love which is poured into our heart by the Spirit. The love of God has been poured into, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us, Scripture says. It's Romans 5.5. So we have to understand, we need to understand, that obedience, love, and the work of the Spirit all go together. It's the Holy Spirit, as we heard in the gospel, that that makes us alive in Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is not only with us, but Jesus says on account of his death and resurrection and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is with you now will be in you. The church of Jesus Christ becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells. The place where heaven and earth come together. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us empowers us and transforms us. The Holy Spirit enables us to walk in obedience to God the Father. It enables us to walk as Jesus walked, to become like him. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and bestows gifts upon us for mission, for ministry. 
we receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. In 1 Peter 3, this is today's epistle, or second reading, the apostle, Peter, interprets the story of Noah typologically, allegorically, spiritually. So where do we get this patristic hermeneutic that I'm talking about all the time? We, we, talk, we get it from Holy Scripture. And Peter is explaining that the story of the flood, and you're going to get sick of me saying this, is about Jesus. The law, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Psalms, the prophets, they're revealing the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in this case, it's saying something about the sacrament of baptism, which is a participation in his life, death, and resurrection. We're baptized into his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Saying the story of the flood reveals the person and work of Jesus, particularly the sacrament of baptism. And in the Gospels, if we remember, at Jesus' baptism, months ago now we celebrated that, there are allusions to the flood as well. Peter makes it quite explicit in his epistle, but there's allusions to this in the Gospel. In Genesis, the flood signifies the water of baptism. The ark signifies Christ and the church. And the dove, remember that the spirit, it's what we call in theology an energetic manifestation. The Holy Spirit did not turn into a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a bird. But manifest as such, descends on Jesus as a dove at his baptism, which is a revelation of the true meaning of the story of Noah when he sends out a bird after the flood, the giving of the Spirit. So since our baptism is a participation in the baptism of Jesus, then as the Holy Spirit descended as a dove on our Lord at his baptism, so did the Holy Spirit descend on us at our baptism. Now, when Scripture speaks of baptism broadly. This is something I've talked about a lot. Uh, it always, it consistently assigns to baptism an efficacy. To put it crudely, baptism does something. And this is nowhere more clear than in today's epistle. 1 Peter 3.21, where it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, that is the flood, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Baptism now saves you. It's not a bare sign. Baptism is not merely going public with your faith. I heard that a lot growing up. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard and, and how many times I've said in the past, not any time recently, but in the past, that baptism doesn't do anything. It just shows 
what's already been done. But that, brothers and sisters, is not what Scripture teaches. That's not what the church has professed for 2,000 years. The Nicene Creed, what do you think we're saying when we say there's one baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Peter says explicitly that it is not as a removal of dirt. I mean, he's saying it's not a natural bath. Like, oh, let's go to, because full immersion was the practice of the ancient church. It's not saying, okay, let's just go to church. It'll be like a spa day. We'll go, we'll go in the baptismal pool. No, it's a supernatural, supernatural washing and appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In baptism, we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, having our sins forgiven and therefore a clear conscience before Almighty God. This is the definitive beginning of the Christian life. In Romans 6, 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're buried with him in baptism. We walk with him in newness of life. I think it can be lost on us that the, the stark contrast between someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't. And that the Lord's claim on our life is total. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Old is gone, the new has come. And we walk in that newness of life by walking according to the Spirit. We have the Spirit. Two weeks from, yeah, two weeks from today, we'll celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. What's often called the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit indwelt the new temple, which is the people of God. We have the Spirit, so we have everything that we need for life and godliness. However, we know this from Scripture, and I think we just know this from experience. <laughs> when we become Christians, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're made new creations in Christ Jesus, that doesn't mean we're just like Jesus in practice. God doesn't zap you and make you perfectly holy. He doesn't, he doesn't obliterate your will and agency. No, we have to cooperate with the Spirit who has been given to us. We have to cooperate with his work in our hearts. We have to, as Paul says, Work out our salvation with fear and trembling as God works in us. Knowing, and this is crucial, 
knowing that the source of our sanctification, the source of our transformation is God. We are not journeying on the road which leads to life by our own efforts and in our own power. Even though we probably all tried to do that. How did it go? Rather, we are being led by the fiery pillar of the Spirit towards the promised land, eschewing the ways of sin and death by which we were enslaved in, quote, Egypt, and from which we've been delivered by the perfect Passover Lamb of God through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Have the Spirit. Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5, quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. That's an image of fire. Fire often being associated with the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And fire vivifies, it purifies, it illuminates. The Spirit gives us life, the Spirit purifies, the Spirit illuminates, the Spirit empowers us. This is what's been given to us. But brothers and sisters, what are we doing with that fire? Are we quenching it or are we kindling it? Are our thoughts and words and actions, our way of living and being, is it throwing cold water on the fire of the Spirit? Damping the work of the Spirit? Or are we, by the way that we live, by our participation in the life of the church, spraying the fire of the Spirit with lighter fluid, fanning into flame the gift of God that has been given to us? Are we setting our mind on earthly, fleshly things to which we have died and for which Christ died? Or are we setting our mind on heavenly things so that the Spirit can renew our minds and transform us into the likeness of the crucified and risen and ascended and throned Jesus who is at the Father's right hand. So brothers and sisters, let us quench not the Spirit of God, but rather through relationship, through loving union, through communion with the crucified and risen Jesus in word and in sacrament. May the fire within be kindled. May our hearts burn within us.